So today we return to, again, Zechariah, but this time Zechariah 7. It's the topic of fasting. And uh, there's so much that we can learn about fasting. Fasting is what? It's abstaining from food and or drink, right? Often it's accompanied by um, meditation and so forth. But uh, that's our focus today is, is Zechariah 7. And really Zechariah 7 and 8 belong together because, well, 7 is about fasting. Chapter 8 is about feasting. And it's all pointing to Christ. It, it, you know, the center of Zechariah is Christ, Christ, Christ. We have to see that again and again. These people were believers in Christ and uh, the Christ to come. So um, we always have to keep that in mind. That's why God has given us this book as well, Zechariah. And we look at Zechariah chapter 7. <clears throat> you know, it's interesting. The Bible begins with a feast. God says, eat, drink, and rejoice, and it ends with a feast. Eat, drink, and rejoice. And in between, you have fasting, because things are not right in this world. And for the Christian, fasting takes on a whole different, different uh, significance. Zechariah 7, we hear the word of the Lord. In the fourth year of King Darius, it came to pass that the word of the Lord came to Zechariah in the fourth day of the ninth month, Chislev. When the people sent Sherezer and Regem Melech and his men to the house of God to pray before the Lord and to ask the priests who were in the house of the Lord of hosts and the prophet saying, should I weep in the fifth month and fast as I have done for so many years? Then the word of the Lord of the hosts came to me saying, say to all the people of the land and to the priests, when you fasted and mourned in the fifth and seventh months during those 70 years, did you really fast for me? For me? And when you eat and when you drink, do you not eat and drink for yourselves? Should you not have obeyed the words which the Lord proclaimed to their former prophets when Jerusalem and the cities around it were inhabited and prosperous and the south and lowland were inhabited? Then the word of the Lord came to Zechariah saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Execute true justice. Show mercy and compassion. Everyone to his brother. Do not oppress the widow or the fatherless, the alien or the poor. Let none of you plan evil in his heart against his brother. But they refused to heed, shrugged their shoulders, stopped their ears so they could not hear. They made their hearts like flint, refusing to hear the law and the words which the Lord of hosts had sent by his spirit through the former prophets. Thus great wrath came from the Lord of hosts. Therefore it happened that just as he proclaimed and they would not hear, so they called out, and I would not listen, says the Lord of hosts. But I scattered them with a whirlwind among all the nations, which they had not known. Thus the land became desolate after them, so that no one passed through or returned, for they made the pleasant land desolate. And that's our focus as well, the entire chapter 7. So congregation, I think uh, some of us, or many of us, have grown up in a context where you know about fasting. Uh, it's very, very common in the context where you grew up. Uh, perhaps a fast may have been one day, maybe it was one regular day every week, or maybe every month, or maybe sometimes for many days in a row. Uh, and for some of us here, we hardly know what a fast is. <laughs> It's not been common. 
to, to, to in our context at all. Some of us probably have never fasted. And so that becomes a very irrelevant question. You know, what is the place of fasting in the Christian life? And in the Bible, there are many examples of fasting. You have uh, fasting in times of distress, uh, times of national crisis when there's plagues, wars. Sometimes the church goes on its knees and pleads God that he would deliver, that God would protect. There's fasting in times of sickness. Remember David? When his uh, little boy was sick, the one that was born to Bathsheba. Uh, there's fasting in times of pending danger. You read through the book of Esther. Uh, people fast because they're sorrowful over their sins. Many different kinds of examples. Fasting can be communal. Entire congregations can fast. So it can be a public fast. A public day of mourning. Perhaps because of a national crisis. Or it can be very private, where Jesus says that you don't let the other person know. Okay, there's many different ways in which fasting occurs. It's interesting that the Bible only commanded the fast once. God only commanded the fast once, and that was the Day of Atonement, Leviticus 16. That's the only time God commanded the fast, and that's been fulfilled in Christ. Uh, he's not saying fasting is wrong. Fasting may be encouraged, but... Outside of that, nowhere is fasting commanded in the Bible. Even Jesus himself, he does not command his people to fast. He commands us to love. He commands us to obey. He commands us to uh, take care of one another. Right? So many ways, so many commands he's given us. He's given us a command to, to pray. But never the command to fast. But you notice that when he does talk about fasting, he warns. He warns. He says, when you fast, what? Don't be like the hypocrites. So you don't have to fast. You may fast. But when you fast, he warns that we do not be like the hypocrites who fast with a sad countenance, a sad face. They disfigure their faces that they may appear to men to be fasting. Interesting that why does Jesus warn so much about fasting? Because it's one of those uh, pious exercises. It's one of the best cloaks for pretend piety. Fasting is one of the one of the, uh, the the best cloaks, one of the best coats for pretend piety. And that's what was going on in here, Zechariah seven, to which we now turn. We hear God's word to us about what real flat, what is the real fast that pleases God? What's real fasting that pleases God? And we're going to see three things in this passage. In verses 1, 2, and 3, there's the question about fasting. Maybe it's a question we often have too. The question about fasting. And then in verses 4 through 7, God rebukes their fasts. He talks about their false fasting. Right? among his people. And he distinguishes that from true fasting. You see that in verses 8 through 14. So the question, false fasting, and then true fasting. Verses 8 through 14 on that one. The question. You remember last week we looked at Zechariah 6, and there was a delegation that was sent 
a delegation of Jews that was sent to the house of the Lord. And the delegation brought silver and gold. And they brought to the house of the Lord. And from that, they would make a, a priceless crown. Here again, there's another delegation that comes to the house of the Lord. The Lord is at work. The Lord is working in the hearts and lives of his people. Well, this time, they don't come with gold or silver, but they come with a question. A question that's burning in their hearts. And you notice the timing of this question, the timing of their coming to the temple is two years later since Zechariah 6. This is the fourth year of King Darius. So it would have been around the year 518, 518 years before the coming of Christ. Okay. Verse 2. It says here, the people, literally you should read, the people of Bethel, so they're ones that came from Bethel, sent Sherezer with Regan Melech and his men to the house of God. So they're there as representatives, as delegates on behalf of the Lord. What was their purpose in sending them? It says there in verse 2, to pray. To pray before the Lord and to ask the priests who were in the house of the Lord and the prophets, a very specific question. Come on in. A very specific question. Should I weep in the fifth month and fast as I have done for so many years? That's really the question. Should I continue weeping? Should I continue fasting? Weeping and fasting, mourning and fasting often go together, right? For the last so many years. And you notice the leader of the delegation, he's not just speaking for himself, but that I is a representative I, right? He's speaking on behalf of not only the delegation, but on behalf of everyone. Shall we weep in the fifth month and fast as we have done for so many years? You think of that question for so many years, it's almost like, we're getting tired of it. So many years. This is going on and on, and we're just, we find it laborious and burdensome. Shall we continue in this? There's that sense there, isn't there? They're becoming impatient. Do you know what? The Lord never commanded them to fast. Nowhere do we see him commanding him, them to fast in those months that's mentioned here. But what happens, they themselves had decided to fast. And they did so regularly on a day in the fifth month. They're permitted to fast. They did so in the fifth month, the seventh month, as you see a little later in this chapter. And in chapter 8, verse 19, the fourth month and the tenth month. Oh, they were fasting all the time, certain days throughout the year. So why were they fasting? It's because their city the city of Jerusalem, is because their church, the house of the Lord, was destroyed by the mighty power of God as he had sent his people into exile. That was 70 years before. It's almost like this. You, you could say, they say, oh, that's the day the church died. It was just great. It, it just sent shockwaves into the community And all their fasts, the 4th, the 5th, the 7th, the 10th, are all related to that sad tragedy of what happened to the house of the Lord and to the city of Jerusalem. And why the 5th month? Well, the 5th month was the biggest one because that 
was the time. In the fifth month, actually on the tenth day, you read about that in Jeremiah 52. On the tenth day of the fifth month, that's when Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, burned the house of God down. And it just became ruins. And that's why they observed the fast on the fifth day, sorry, of the fifth month. Recall, the Lord, it was the Lord who had done this thing among them, who had removed his people, sent them into exile. Why? Well, they were no longer listening to his word. They were no longer obeying him from their heart. God gave himself to them. He delivered them. He saved them. He showed his mercy to them. But eh, they weren't so interested in God. They were not so interested in listening to him. We do the same thing as parents, right? Think of the relationship between parents and children as God relates with his people. Wait, we warn our children. Why? Because we love them. And we warn them, we say, now, if you don't obey, these are the consequences, right? It's the same thing with a covenantal relationship. It's not a tit-for-tat relationship, a bargaining relationship we have with God. No, God already gave himself. He gave himself in his covenant with us. And now he looks for a response of faith, love, obedience to him, giving ourselves back to him. God, you know, it's amazing. Even in the midst of the, the ruins, in the midst of all the tragedy in their lives, God still comes back to them. Why? Because he, kept, he was thinking about his promise in Christ. He was keeping his promise in Christ. He was being very gracious to them. He brought them back home. Them who were still in the filth of their sins. He brought them back home. And he had them rebuild the temple. It's almost like the church died. Think of Christ, his death. And he raises the church again, resurrected to life. Right? It's the Lord at work. The rebuilding of the temple. And it's on that site, every fifth month, the Jews would go there and they would do their fast right on the site of the ruins of the temple. But we can't really do that anymore because the stones are being laid, the foundation is there, the wood is going up. Where do they find space to continue their fast? And now they ask, should we continue fasting, weeping? They expect the prophets and the priests to come up with some sort of simple, quick answer. Yes, you should, or no, you shouldn't. Sometimes we like that, right? We become impatient. We want to right away a yes answer and a no answer. That's not the way God works all the time. He works relationally. He wants people to understand, not just a flippant yes or no, but he wants people to understand why. And so this question, their question is not just a simple yes or no. It's a two-chapter answer. <laughs> chapter 7, chapter 8, four times you'll see, thus says the Lord. So it's a four-part answer to this very so-called simple answer, or simple question. And in this, in this question, or in this answer, basically it's this. The Lord is saying, I'm not looking for your fasting. But I'm looking for your obedience. I'm looking for your love for me. I'm looking for you to put me first in your lives. I'm not looking for your fast. Covenant. Right? Covenant is about relationship, not rituals. It's not just motions. It's not just saying the same words. 
It's about the heart. Empty rituals, God will call that false religion, not relationship. And so the word of God here in these remaining verses from 4 through uh, 14, really, you could say, penetrate through the thick walls of the heart. God, you could say, peels away their misunderstanding, their ignorance, their rebellion. Because he loves his people, he says, I'm going to tell you the truth. I'm going to tell you the truth about yourself, he said. And so the word comes like, as the Bible says, as a sword of the spirit, penetrating to the point of the, the, dividing the, the uh, bone from the marrow. It challenges our motives. Why? That's really the question about fasting is, why fast? And that brings us to that first part of the four-part answer to their question. We'll look at two of them today. first one is a four through seven. And the second one, which begins with us as the Lord, is the second one. In verse 8. But God, first of all, says, I don't want your fasting. It stinks. We hear God's divine rebuke. God is saying, your fasting is just not pleasing me at all. And he says that because he loves his covenant people. He loves them. He's honest with them. It's a relationship. A relationship where sometimes he confronts. And so, you know, notice this. With their one question, he counters their one question with three more questions. Now, God could have given an answer right away, but he wants a discussion. He wants a relationship. And so he comes with three questions, hard-hitting questions. And now God's people are going to have to think through those questions. Right? Oh, God is pointing at me. There's something wrong here. And he asks not just the delegation of Beth, Bethel, but God points those questions to all the people, including all the priests, as you see in verse 4. Look at verse 4. Then the word of the Lord of hosts came to me, to Zechariah, that is, saying, Say to all the people of the land and to the priests. You see, God has a very special relationship with his people. He would not do that with the other nations. <laughs> he does that with his people. He said, first of all, when you fasted and you mourned in the fifth and seventh months during those 70 years, did you really fast for me? Second time, for me? Did you have me in your heart? Or were you just thinking about yourselves? Were you just looking to get what you could get out of me? Or was it for me, God says? That's the first question. It's a probing question. Sometimes we might ask that with worship, right? We can go through all the right motions. We go through all, saying all the right words. But did you come from me? Right? Same kind of application with fasting. He says, second, when you eat and when you drink, are you doing it for yourselves? Do you not eat and drink for yourselves? In other words, if you're doing it with your fasting... You're going to be doing it when you're not fasting either. You're going to be doing it for yourself. And finally, should you not have obeyed the words of the prophets, which the Lord had proclaimed to the former prophets? You see, in their facing, or sorry, in their fasting, they were making themselves look really, really good. Really, really good. It made them feel good. Sometimes you hear people say, I like to do good because it makes me feel good. Well, that's what they were doing. They were, in their own eyes, in their own estimation, doing good. Fasting. It made them feel good. It made them feel very religious. 
Fasting is the kind of activity that makes it look like that you're not really in it for yourself, right? It's an activity that makes it look like that you're really denying yourself. See how good you are? You're not eating, you're not drinking, you're sad, you have a sad countenance, you have torn clothes. What a good man! That's the sense that it could give off. They were fasting, but as Isaiah chapter 58, verses 3 through 6, reminds them, he says, that's not the kind of fast, God says, that's not the kind of fasting I want. You're fasting on one hand, and on the other hand, you're oppressing your workers. You're fasting on one hand, yet you're quarreling and you're fighting with your brothers and sisters in Christ. You're fasting, and yet, he says, you're not obeying me. You're not in it for, for me. You're just in it for yourself, to make yourself look good. They did not come before the Lord to submit themselves to him. They came to the Lord looking for some goodies. Huh? A kind of a tit-for-tat relationship. If I do this, then maybe God will give me this and this and this and this. That's not covenant. That's false religion. That's other religions. That's not the way God relates with his people. They didn't come, the problem is they didn't come before him with repentance. With repentance, with broken hearts because of their sin. That was the real problem. The Lord says, I want your hearts. I want all your sin. Give that over to me. I want your confession. Hear the emotional plea of God. He's the hurting father. You really, did you really fast for me? For me? Did you really worship, come to worship for me? For me? Did you come to worship for that? Oh, that was their problem. You know, they're only thinking about themselves and their fasts. They were not honoring or pleasing God, whether they were eating and drinking or whether they were fasting. It made no difference. And you know what really comes to show is, with God's rebuke, we, can, we come to understand we can never win God's favor by fasting. We can never win God's favor through anything that we do by our works, by our good works. Then, nor now, can his favor be won in those ways. Yeah, people fast for bad reasons. Sometimes I think Christians may fast because they feel so guilty, so desperately guilty. And what they forget then is they forget God's love in sending his son to cleanse them from all sin and to forgive them all their sins. God doesn't want that kind of thing. He wants us to trust in his son. That's where we find the solution. Others fast because they want God to notice how wonderfully pious they are. Think of the Pharisee and the tax collector. That was the first thing the Pharisee said in the temple. He said, I fast three times a week. Look, Lord, how good I am compared to the publican who just beat himself. God is not pleased, nor does he approve any of that kind of fasting. So what kind of fasting is God pleased with? We go to verse 7. Should you not have obeyed? Obedience. Right? That's the fasting the Lord is pleased with. Should you not have obeyed the words which the Lord proclaimed to the former prophets? And that brings us to 8 through 14. That's really the point. 
God says, I don't need your rituals. I need your obedience. I want you to hear my word and put that word into practice. And that's the second part of God's reply to the question of fasting in verses 8 through 14. God says, I want you. I want all of you. I want the total of you, the totality of you, heart, soul, mind, strength, right? Love of God. I want all your love. Love God and love neighbor. What, kind, what is the kind of fasting God requires? Not to abstain from food, but he wants a, a fasting from sin. That's ultimately what he wants. Food can be there. Abstaining from food can help that, maybe. Maybe the Lord can use it to help us as we concentrate on repentance and faith. But ultimately, the whole point of fasting is that we fast from sin. We fast from ourselves. And here, especially the sin of mistreating our fellow human beings. Look at verse 9 and 10. Well, look at verse 10 first. This is the kind of fasting God loves. Do not oppress the widow or the fatherless, the alien or the poor. Now, it's not just those four specific things, but this represents the class of the vulnerable, the weak in our society. And he says it positively in verse 9. He says, execute, in other words, do true justice. Show mercy and compassion, everyone to his brother. Now, when we think about this, the widow, the fatherless, the alien, or the poor, you know, they represent the, the vulnerable, you could say maybe the physically weaker, or the mentally disturbed in our society. Think of where Canada as a nation is today. It's a kind of a crisis that we're living in that could almost say, for the church to say, we need to fast. We need to mourn over the state of our nation. According to CTV, more than 10,000, that 10,000 Canadians received medically assisted death in 2021. 10,000 Canadians. Is that real compassion? Is that justice? And this is through the hands of doctors who they're there to protect life. 10,000 Canadians. One lady, she said, had the privilege of having, you could call it, she called it the um, assisted suicide ceremony in her church. Pastor presiding, gospel songs playing, family beside her as Dr. Death was administering death to her in a church building. This is not true justice. You know, we have to distinguish what society... Society talks about justice. You hear the word justice so much. Critical race theory, social justice. And anytime you hear that, we need to be questioning and thinking, no, that's not... They're not following the scripture standard, the Bible standard. They have their own standard. That's not executing true justice, what they're doing here. We're not to be involved in killing and helping killing anybody. This is not compassion. It's not mercy. It's murder. It's murder. Yeah, but it's their right. It's, and because it's their right, it's just. No, it's not. It's not right. 
Even today, many are now being coerced to die. They're saying, come on, why don't you take the, the death pill, the death pill? It's not right. Consider the 100,000, 100,000 babies in the image of God being torn from the wombs of mothers of whom both the father and mother are responsible, by the way, are murdered each year, every year, 100,000. That's not justice. That's cruelty. You see how baby is torn apart in the womb? That's cruelty. It's abuse to the extreme. And then we wonder why there's abuse of children today. It's because it begins in the womb. It's oppression. In British Columbia, one doctor is boasting of changing the gender of 1,000 foster children. Who are foster children? The fatherless. He boasts about the fact that he changed the gender from male to female or female to male. That's torture. That's cruelty. That's oppression with a nice face that you put on it. Examples, many more examples can be given of human Christ. This past week in Ontario, those seniors are in the hospitals, right, in their own communities. They're saying, well, they're vulnerable, right? We'll send them out. Put them far away because we need space in our hospitals. That's not compassion. That's cruelty. That's oppression. And then you begin to realize, yeah, we need the word of God to help us understand and define what true justice is. Biblical justice. Not the justice that the world is talking about. Not critical race theory. Critical race theory, by the way, is filled with racism. Now we go back to the word of God. The standard that God lays before his people. Biblical justice. Biblical compassion and mercy. And yeah, whatever the world does, we can't wait for them to change the laws. We can't wait for our governing officials to change the laws. But we must respond by showing acts of biblical compassion without waiting for the laws to be changed in order to protect the vulnerable. There's a New Testament version of this, of Zechariah 7, verse 9 and 10. That's found in James 1, 27. Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep one unstained from the world. And yeah, that's exactly what Safe Families is all about. That's why we have Christian schools. That's why we have Hope Academy. That's why we have ARPA. These are all ways to promote the kingdom of God, a passion for his kingdom, a passion for the justice that God speaks about, the compassion and mercy that God speaks about. We're in a war. We're in a war of two different ideas of justices, two different ideas of compassion and mercy. And yes, here too, fasting may have a role, right? Fasting may have a role. We need to turn then to God in prayer and fasting. This is a national crisis. The church may, if they want, in their repentance of sin, also accompany that with fasting. The words of Joel too are relevant. He says, so rend your heart. God says, I don't want your garments. I want your hearts. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, great of kindness, and he relents from doing harm. And so the church prays with Amos 5.24. Okay, let justice roll down like water upon the nation. God's justice. Right? Or 
when we fast, then we can pray with Psalm 119, verse 136. Rivers of water run down from my eyes because men do not keep your law. That's not fasting for yourself. That's fasting for the glory of God. Rivers of water flow from my eyes because men, Canada is not keeping your law. That's the true fasting God is looking for. For his kingdom, for his glory. Fasting reveals that Christian life is a life of charity. Isaiah 58, 6 and 7. Beautiful the way he puts it. Is this not the fast that I have chosen? To, chosen? He mentions a bunch of things. To loose the bonds of wickedness. Isaiah 58, 6 and 7. To loose the bonds of wickedness. To undo the heavy burdens. To let the oppressed go free. That you break every yoke. Is it not to share your bread with the hungry? That you bring to your house the poor who are cast out? When you see the naked, that you cover him and not hide yourself from your own flesh? (laughs) God's people had all this. They had his love and compassion. And yet, God's people didn't want it. The Lord had spoken, but he said, no, no, we want what the nations, we want the nation's understanding of this, but not your word's understanding. And look at verses 11 and 12. They refused to heed. They shrugged their shoulders. Oh, well, that's just, that's just God. They shrugged their shoulders. They stopped their ears. So it's when, Sometimes we don't want to hear it. Hey, boys and girls, what do you do? Put your fingers in the ears. And so sometimes with God's word, people put their ears, fingers in the ears. They don't want to hear it. Yes, they made their hearts like flint, refusing to hear the law and the words which the Lord of hosts sent by the Spirit through the former prophets. And that's why they were sent into exile. That's why God said, enough is enough. I have to remove you from my house. See verse 14? I scattered them with a whirlwind among all nations, which they had not known. Thus the land became desolate after them, for they had been made the pleasant land desolate. God had given them a beautiful land, and they ruined it for themselves with their own sin. Now, we really have to bring this and show the beauty in Christ in all of this. Because we need Christ. And you see the story of Israel, God's people, is a story of Adam all over again. It's a story of Adam all over again. Right? Like Adam, they were called to feast with God in the land, to feast with God in the garden. But like Adam, they were sent out from the garden. Why? Because they did not obey his word. Sent out from the land into exile. Adam, and then the second Adam, Israel. And in Zechariah 7, what do we hear? In the midst of all the fasting, ultimately we're hearing the cries for the one that they need. The one we really need, and that's Christ. Whose whose coming God had promised. Christ, the Son of God. He's the final Adam. And this Adam will never fail. And that's why it's so important that we put our trust in him. He fulfilled the fast by obeying perfectly. He entered a world which was no longer a garden, but a howling waste. And in that wilderness, Satan tempts him. I like the way Lightheart puts it. He says, Jesus refused, refused, And then refused again. He did that 
in our place. He kept the fast. He waited. He worked. He suffered. He died. In the place of his people, he says, I will go into exile for you. I will be banished in your place. I will suffer the agonies of hell. And then, having conquered sin, death, and hell, what happened? He opened his hand to receive the gifts of life, glory, honor, authority, dominion, all that the Father had given to him. He kept the fast perfectly. And as a result, he was admitted to the fullness of the feast that is to come. And in him, to all who trust in him, that same promise is there. And so the call this morning to all of us, as it was to God's people in those days, is to come to him. Come to Christ. He's the only one. He's the only one who can save you and me by his sacrifice on the cross. It's only by trusting, by giving ourselves, surrendering ourselves to Christ as Savior and Lord, the one who bore the full punishment for our sin. It's him who conquers sin, death, and hell. The one who delivers us from the exile that we're in, right? As God's people. We were in exile of sin. He delivered us from it. And he brings us into that new creation, that new land of feasting. Yes, in our fast today, we may fast, certainly. But as Christians, we have confidence that our forgiveness is in Christ. And those fasts only aid our and strengthen our relationship with God. In some, to obey is better than sacrifice. Jesus provided the sacrifice, the perfect sacrifice. We can never outdo him. We trust his sacrifice. And by his spirit, we obey. That's what God's looking for, obedience. He doesn't want our outward motions merely, or our words. He says, I want you. I want you, he says. We do not find acceptance with God in fasting. Never, never. We find acceptance with God only in Christ. As we live out of Christ by faith. Real fasting, that's pleasing to God, is obeying Him. Obeying Him. Micah 6 verse 8, we'll close with that. He has shown you, O man, He has shown us in Christ. What is good and what does the Lord require of you? But to do justly, to love mercy, to walk humbly with your God. And that really is the whole point. May God's character shine forth from us in our society that's filled with injustice and cruelty and oppression. Yes, Canada, filled with cruelty, injustice, and oppression. And may we, the church, lead the way to what it means to be truly just, full of compassion and mercy. Amen.